I, let me tell you what you have to do. First, you have to unlearn every single thing you think. You have to unlearn. Then you have to learn. Then you have to understand. Then you have to appreciate. Then you can decide whether to agree or disagree. And when you appreciate the other position, even when you disagree with them, it's critical. When you disagree with someone after appreciating them, you can live in mutual peaceful coexistence and you can even cooperate and collaborate on many things. But if you disagree with them without appreciating them, you will not be able to cooperate and collaborate. And no matter how much you think you may bring unity, you will actually be a source of deceit. So I have no problem with somebody being contemporary if they appreciate the classical approach. But if they choose to be contemporary without appreciating the classical approach, then they won't be able to cooperate and collaborate with those who follow the classical approach. Alright? Okay. Now let's first start with Akal. Akal refers to our intellect. Akal on its own is unguided, untempered, extremely fallible. It's not like Akal is 99% correct and the fallibility is just 1%. No. Akal is highly fallible. You will find that there are so many thinkers in this world, so many philosophers in this world, and they never agree. Right? I always find it so amusing that people come to me and tell me that the ulama can never agree. I feel like I've taken the history of philosophy for 20 years of my life. You want me to show you disagreement? It's not the ulama. That's nothing. Let me show you the disagreement of the philosophers and thinkers and ideologues in this world. I've been to conferences at Ivy League universities, which they spent two days just disagreeing on what Bavarian sociology is. They all view themselves as Bavarians. They all do pieces of Marx Weber. They all claim that they analyze society according to Marx Weber's theory, and they all disagree with each other. They all disagree with each other. If you pick up any good journal in any field of academia, it's all about disagreement. And that disagreement is celebrated. We celebrate that. We celebrate that there's neoclassical and Keynesian and all types of different approaches to economics. They, why? Because they're correct. They understand. It would be foolish, you know, that people talk about ulama, if I were to talk about professors that way, people in Oxford and Chicago would laugh at me. If I walked in and said, oh, you know, you have 12, faculty, 12 professors in our faculty, and they all disagree with each other, and this is disunity, and you've made a mess of the field of sociology, and none of you can get along, and you all critically review one of our articles in journals, and you're all writing book reviews on one another, and critiquing one another, and you're completely wrong, they look at you and say, you don't understand what academia is. This is what we do. <laughs> our disagreement is the proof of our knowledge. Our disagreement is not disunity. We're one department. We're one journal. We're writing in the same journal from different perspectives. But they're not people of Akal. So I told you clear to The professors in academia are not people of Akal. They're people of Ilm. There's a big difference between Akal and Ilm. Big difference between Akal and Ilm. Akal is like eyesight. You see, no matter how sharp your vision may be, you cannot see anything unless there is light. Without light, you will not be able to see anything, even if you have perfect vision. Just like that, the akal is like eyesight. You will not be able to understand or perceive anything without light, without the nur of wahi, Quran, and nubuwa. That is the light through which the akal views. I wish I could make a PowerPoint presentation for you, and maybe one day I'll make an email to you. I give you a dawah and I'm sitting in the Muslim state of Bulu. And it's something you can check me on. It's something that's testable. I'm going to tell you something that is falsifiable, if you can try to falsify it. Every single place in Qur'an where Allah Ta'ala mentions Akam, every time he's addressing unbelievers. I'm not telling believers to use their Akam. 
Every time he's addressing unbelievers and telling them, and by uncle he doesn't mean very fancy intellectual deliberation. By uncle there, Allah Ta'ala means, can't you just use your basic, simple, common sense and look in the creation around you, you will be able to see the signs of the Creator, you should come to Imam. It's the only way uncle is used in Quran. And the Quran is there, it's there for you. In every language you can search it, database it, you can test on it. It's a falsifiable thing if you want to falsify it. Every place in Quran, Akul is used just for them. To tell the unbeliever to use their Akul in terms of common sense to come to the belief in one Allah. After that, then if somebody accepts that, then they are now called Alladina Amanu. That's also looking at Quran. Entire place where Allah Ta'ala talks to Allah Dina Amanu, never once does he tell them to use Akul. Look it up in Quran. Never once. Why? What are Alladina Amanu supposed to do then if they don't use their Akul? Very simple. They're supposed to go straight for the light source. They go straight for wahi, for scriptural revelation called Qur'an. They go straight to the sunnah of the Nabiyyah, the Nur of Nabuwa, and the many other things Allah tells them. Taqwa, haya. In fact, Allah says clearly in Qur'an, لَهُمْ قُلُوبٌ يَعْقِلُونَ بِهَا If only they had spiritual hearts, قُلُوبٌ يَعْقِلُونَ بِهَا that they did, they shifted the akal part from their mind to their heart. They should have understood using their heart. If they understood using their heart, they would have been successful. It's clear in Qur'an. You say, I'll only begin with you on one common ground, which is Qur'an, and let's say, hadith that everybody agrees to be There's some agrees that I may be beautiful, you may not. So I'm going to start with a comment, I'm not going to say anything today that goes beyond that. Nothing will I say without any other piece. This is Qur'an. This is Qur'an. If only they had used their understanding from their hearts. That's what believers are told. Why? Because when you have Iman, you don't have access to a source which is infinitely greater than Aqal. It's much higher. It's called the Ilm Allah Al-Sain. Allah Al-Insana Ma Lam Allah Al-Sain, I'm going to teach you something. Ma'alam ya'alam, that you never could have figured out, nor could you ever figure out without me. Means it's something that could never ever come in your naked akal mahas, we call it, in your mere intellect. It could never come in it. So the first step of a believer, if they want to follow the path of Qur'an, is they have to accept iman, and they have to give themselves entirely to this ilm. You have to drown in this ilm. Just go away. You need the akal along with you to understand the ilm, right? You need the eyes when the light is there. If you close your eyes and there's light, you won't be able to see either. But you can only see in the light. So it means to use all of your intellectual ability to understand the ilm Allah Ta'ala has revealed in Qur'an al-Kareem and the ilm Allah Ta'ala revealed in the seerah and the sunnah and the heart of the Prophet Now let me open these two things up here. Let's start with Qur'an. In Qur'an there are three things. First is called the wordings of Qur'an. That's just an issue of pronunciation. That's called tajweed. And depending on your accent, and some of you have more accents, and if you have a thick accent, if you have a very thick accent, it may take you three, four, six months to learn the wordings of Qur'an properly. Done. Second thing is the meanings of Qur'an. Meanings of Qur'an. It's not understood through mere translation. Believe hmm. me, meanings of Qur'an is not understood through mere translation. Why? Because the Qur'an is a profoundly deep book. 
profoundly deep of. And when Allah Ta'ala revealed Arabic verses of Qur'an to the Prophet and the Prophet recited the Arabic verses to the Sahaba, and remember the Qur'an was revealed in the dialect of the Quraysh, the Arabic of that time. So forget translation, the Sahaba understood the meaning directly, right? Everybody would understand, anybody who knows Arabic as a native speaker, not today, the people today they know native modern Arabic, not native speakers of classical Quran Arabic. If somebody's a native speaker of the dialect of Quraysh, classical Quran Arabic, I think I would agree their knowledge of the meaning better than anybody, no matter the greatest transition in the world. And Allah tells the Prophet and the Sahaba that it's not enough for you. But Allah says in the Quran, لَقَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ That indeed Allah Ta'ala has sent a special favor on the believers. When Allah Ta'ala sent to them the messenger from their own selves, from their own bits, a fellow human being, to do what? To recite to them the verses of Qur'an. So the first original meaning of this verse is the Prophet is going to receive Arabic verses and recite Arabic verses to Arabic Sahaba. And Allah says, it'll be enough for them. It's not enough. The Prophet is going to say more things for them to benefit from this Qur'an. وَيُذَكِّيهِمْ You will have to purify their heart and character. All of you see way in the beginning, bam, in Surah Baqarah, what does Allah say? هُدَنِّ الْمُنْتَقِيمِ This book is a book of Hidayah. But for who? الْمُنْتَقِيمِ Arabic does not in any way help you to get taqwa. Just visit the Arab world. There's no, no better or worse than Indonesia or Malaysia or Pakistan or India or Bangladesh. Taqwa is something else. There's nothing to do with language or culture or race or ethnicity. There are people of good and bad taqwa in all races and languages. So Allah told them you have to do their tazkiyah. Our mind is saying, Ya Allah, they're perfect fluent in Arabic. And you were studying the Quran, just read it in Allah. No, no, no. Not like that. If the Sahaba aren't going to be like that, how do you think me and you can just read Quran and translation and practice it and that's all we need for day? Then another thing. When you allimuhumul kitab, you allim, in Arabic it's from ta'lim, ta'allum. It means you have to formally teach them the book. It means this book must be formally taught and learned. Can't just be read just like that. I'm not giving you any interpretation. I'm giving you word for word lexical translation. Indisputable meaning of Quran. It's no interpretation of mine. It's not a school of thought I'm presenting to you. I'm presenting to you pure Quran. You allimuhumul kitab. You must formally teach them and instruct them the formal knowledge of the book. They understand Arabic, you review Quran in Arabic, you say Quran in Arabiya, they can get the meaning from the words. Allah says, no, they cannot get the meaning from the words. They will have to get the meaning from Rasulullah. They can't get the meaning from the words. The Sahaba cannot get the meaning of Quran from the words of Quran. Maybe you're going to get the meaning of Quran from English translation. Hmm. Impossible. Then Allah says, another step. That Allah says, when you give them the knowledge, the formal knowledge of the book, that also Allah is going to reveal on the heart of the Prophet. He's not going to do his own ugly commentary. That's also going to be revealed by Allah to the Prophet. He will share that with Sahaba. But even that's not enough. You have to teach them another thing. Well, hikmah. It means, when you al hikmah. You'll have to formally teach them another entire body of knowledge in addition to the Qur'an, which is called hikmah, which we also call it sunnah. The wisdom of the anbiya, that's their sunnah. Like Luqman al-Hakim, that's their sunnah. 
sunnah of the Nabi Muhammad So in order to begin our journey of ilm, yes, you will need your akal to get formal learning of Quran. You will need your akal. Don't no, put it away. Keep the eyes wide open. You will need your akal to get formal learning of sunnah. But you have to get the formal learning. Look, even for our children, if I want to teach 11th grade economics, I would want the teacher to at least have a bachelor's in economics. What does it mean? It should be somebody who spent four years studying economics with professors of economics. That's my criteria for somebody to teach children economics. So you don't think they're professors of Quran, they're called Mufassirun. You need to study Quran with the Mufassir Alam of Quran. At least try it, right? You just try it and see that whether you, doesn't harm a trying it, right? We try it and see, okay, I used to read Quran in my own in translation, and I went to a professor of Mufassir Alam of Quran. You see if there's any difference. If you don't find difference, so be it, right? All we can do is invite you. This card that we gave you, on that website, we have taught entire Qur'an in English. You will find audio, entire English to see of entire Qur'an. You open it whatever you want, and you listen. And then you decide whether there's any difference in reading transition on your own, or being formally taught and learned Qur'an like Allah says we should occur. Is there, again, it's a falsifiable hypothesis, right? We can just invite you, we can try it. And you can see for yourself. So they're called professors of Qur'an, they're called Mufassirun. And Sunnah also has different parts to it. One part of the Sunnah, they're called Talimat al-Nabi, that's called Hadith, right? Just like that, they're professors of Hadith, they're called Muhajizim. You can read Hadith on your own, and you can formally learn and be instructed in the deep meanings of Hadith by Muhajizim. Again, it's something you can try. That I don't have so much yet on there. You may find, like, I don't know what they put on there. You may find a great way or something like that there. However, there's another thing about the Sunnah. That's called Kefiyatul Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What does it mean? It says Batin Sunnah. His Adala, his Akhlaq, his feelings, his Ahwal and Tazbat. You also have to learn that. You have to learn how to feel like him. Yeah. It's not enough to look like him, dress like him. It's not enough to read his words, it's not enough to read his life. In fact, the whole purpose of all of the above is one, to feel like he felt. And that's totally not about words. Often I give people an example. So I give an example. I'm going to give you three examples. Maybe you'll understand. Alright? I'm going to construct a story for you. It's what I call the first tabi. Who must have been the first tabi, the first successor of the Sahaba? Who would have been the first one? We don't know in history, it's not mentioned who was the first one. So I'm going to give you a story so you can imagine how this happened. So imagine somebody living in some town, in some desert, near the Nunavra, or far away from and he hears about Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sallallahu Alaihi He hears that there's a last and final prophet and messenger. He hears good things, he's inspired, he sets up. He may say that I want to travel to Medina Manora, I want to take Imam, I want to be a follower and a believer in this Prophet. So he sets up, alright. He travels weeks, months, Allah Allah. And then he arrives in Medina Manora. When he arrives in Medina Manora, he gets closer to Mr. Nabui. What does he see? He sees everybody's crying. He sees everybody's crying. He doesn't understand. So he goes up to one person and says, I heard that there's a prophet here, I come to hear him. And the person starts crying more. And he says, huh? The person starts crying even more. He doesn't understand. He 
because the second one is such kind born, because the third one is a bit composer. So, oh, you just, he just has to wait ten minutes ago. First time. Yes, you just missed him. Imagine this. It must have happened like this, right? It's not a fiction. It must have happened like this. How can you become super dumb? You must have just missed the processum. He just passed away ten minutes ago. Imagine this person. <laughs> he made this whole journey. He wants to accept Imam. Becomes a follower of the last and final prophet, messenger. But obviously, if he's Muslim, he's not going to turn back. He's going to go back. He's come from this Imam. Right? So they can ask the person. Oh, I just missed him. Yes. I'll never get a chance to see him. No. Did you ever see him? The person will start crying. They say, Don't ask me this question. They say, Oh, did I ever see him? Did I ever see him? So let's say, imagine that that Sahaba, his name is Abu Huraira, really loves Allah. Right? So what would the Tabi do? They grab onto him. They say, Look, I missed him. I'm not going to miss you. Abu Huraira said, What do you want from me? So well, Whatever you learn from him, I want to learn from you. That's not Tabi. Yes. Oh, it's not interpretation. This is what must have happened. Whatever you learn from him, I want to learn from you. And what do you think Abu Bakr did? You think he takes out his notebook? This is these are the words of Dee. You think he gives him a Sahih Bukhari? Huh? You think Dee is about words and texts and books? Do you think he said, okay, sit down in two hours and dictate you all the deep I heard? And I'll get you a copy of Musab al-Qur'an and you go back to your village. Does that sound to you like that's the relationship between a Sahaba and a Tabi? Textual? Books? No way? Our Lord say, okay, you want to learn from me what I learned from him? He say, yes, that's what I want. He say, okay, you're going to have to sit with me, associate with me, live with me for a few years. Now this is factual history of Tabi. If you read the biographies of Tabi, you will see this. They lived and associated with Sahaba Imam for years of their life. Years of their life. This is a preserved, recorded history. They will say, you have to sit with me, and associate with me, and be with me, and learn from me for a few years. And even then, maybe, maybe a drop of what I got from him, you will get from me. It's not about texts. It's not about words. This is one of the greatest revisionist historical projects that have taken place in our Ummah. To convince people it's just about texts and words. That you must join your being with the Sadiq. You must put your heart with them. It's heart to heart. Let me take you one step back to another story. This is a real story. When Sayyidina Rasulullah was alive, even then it was not about texts and words. Like a stranger to the world, or like a traveler on the path. I think many of us, maybe even all of us, would have heard this today. Now, what do you think happened? You think Sayyidina said this sentence, and Abu Huraira was listening, and he comes back the next day, and he takes out a piece of paper, he says, Look, I got it. I wrote it down, I textualized it. What, what, what did you write? He said, Abu Huraira, 
I didn't say that sentence to you yesterday as dictation class. I didn't say that sentence to you today so you preserve the words or you make it into text. No. I said that sentence to you. What I want is not for you to bring me the words and the text. Bring me that lived life that is lived with a feeling such that you feel like you are a stranger to the world and you feel like you are traveling on the path. What's about feelings? Words. Sayyidina Rasulullah is trying to teach the Sahaba how to feel. It's about feelings. Deen is about feelings. Just like that, now go back to Quran. I told you there were wordings and there were meanings. There's a third thing in Quran that is called feelings. The whole reason Allah sent down Quran was for us to feel the feelings. Allah doesn't just teach us what to do and what not to do. He teaches us how to feel the Quran. If you don't get the feelings of Quran, the wordings and meanings are no benefit you. Let me show you a real story. Surah Al-Fatiha. I'll just show you know, a lot of people who have these beautiful reciters, it's amazing to me. They're just interested in the sound. And you people don't realize, you know what an aberration it is to beautifully, melodiously, sweetly recite the verses that are talking about Jahannam, and to recite them in the same sweet, melodious, beautiful recitation when you talk about the verses in Jannah. Some of you even know Arabic and you don't realize this is an aberration. Because the person is reciting the words. They may know the meaning, but they're not feeling the feelings at that time. They're not feeling the feelings at that time. That's an empty Quran. Empty Quran. Yes, I had the great fortune, and we tell our friends this, was one of the greatest, most blessed experiences of my life. That I got to spend Ramadan with my beloved and departed Mustav. Because it's in a village outside Mokan of Mako. We have this type of walking. I tell you, places like that. Yes. He was a great alim and a great wali of Allah. And when you pray the alim behind him, you feel Quran. Because he felt Quran. I've never experienced that ever in my life. Never. I've searched. It must be. I'm really person also. Right? But it was a different experience altogether. The verses of Jannah he was reciting was feeling of yearning and longing. You were feeling yearning and longing. The verses of Jahannam he was reciting with absolute fear and trepidation. You were feeling fear and trepidation. This is a whole other branch of Quranic studies. You don't get this from Quranic Arabic. You will not get this in Quran translation course. No, no, no. Oh, I'll show it to you yourself. You know the wordings of Fatiha. You know the meanings of Fatiha. You don't feel Fatiha. When you say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, all of you know the translation. How many of you can say, every time I pray Salah, as every Prakar, when I say these words, Alhamdulillah, my heart is feeling intense feelings of praise for Allah. My heart is overflowing with the feeling of praise. Your heart feels nothing. You just recite the words. So you tell me, you knew the Arabic, you knew the Tajweed, you knew the translation, you knew the grammar of Surah Fatiha, and you're still not feeling it. So when are you going to realize that Quran is more than just translation and grammar? It's about feeling. You know, Fatiha, there's so many feelings. That's on the website, I talked just once. The feelings of Fatiha. There's so many feelings in there. So that's why it's Ulul Kitab. Why do you think it's Ulul Kitab? Why is it? The Apostle said that all the asal of, you know, the essence of all revelation, as we put in Quran, the essence of all Quran is the Surah Fatiha. It's the words. It's not the transition, it's the feelings. 
Athena you say, it's a big thing at this. And then, oh, I'm entirely your servant and slave. Then immediately you're supposed to feel that, oh, I can't do that on my own. It's a feeling, and then one sentence you say from one feeling to another. You have to learn this. You have to learn how to feel Qur'an. That's the spiritual grammar of Qur'an. Yes. The spiritual grammar of Qur'an. The spiritual lexicon of Qur'an. That's to view Qur'an, to feel Qur'an. I give you proof from Qur'an. Allah says in the Qur'an, Al-Rahman. Al-Rahman. Fas'al-bihi khabira. Al-Rahman. Allah announces that I have proclaimed that I am Allah Rahman, all merciful Allah. The being of infinite mercy, mercy incarnate, the epitome of mercy. But if you want to know how you should feel, Fas'al. Go ask. Go inquire. You must go learn. Bihi khabira khabir. That person will deeply inform of what it means that Allah is al Yes? Allah tells us in Quran, how many of us do Amal on this verse? Fas'al bihi khabira. Feelings of Quran? Feelings of Quran? This is our deen. Yes, it's a beautiful deen. It's a beautiful feelings. The people who felt the feeling of Salah, that's what they wake up for Tajjah. You can't force yourself to wake up for the hundred. That's a prayer of question. It's not a prayer of obligation. Why did they pray half the night, one third the night? Because they were feeling something. They got the feelings of Quran. So let me explain it to you. But the way me and you, we taste the sweetness of every spoon of ice cream, every bowl we have. They felt something in every ruku, in every sajda. Subhanahu Rabbi al was a different taste. Subhanahu Rabbi Allah was a different taste. For like you and me, vanilla is a different taste, strawberry is a different taste. If you still can't feel, you can't feel a different feeling in Rahu, a different feeling in Sajda, what in the world do you want to have thought in conferences and workshops on? This is the building block of Islam. Bunyan Islam al-Khams is the most pillar, it's a foundation actually. Even though our pillars and proper five foundations. If you don't have the foundation, where are you going to go? You have to finish step one. Step one is feelings of Qur'an, feelings of Salah, feelings of Sunnah. Yes, then when a person does all of this, what I just told you, the wordings of Qur'an, the meanings of Qur'an from professors of Qur'an, the feelings of Qur'an, there's another group of ulama, another they call awliyaullah. They're Mashayah, they're the ones who feel Qur'an, they're the ones that Allah Ta'ala says in Qur'an or Qadir, they're the Siddiqeen, Sadiqeen, Allah Ta'ala tells us to put our hearts with. When you have the wordings and the meanings, and the feelings of Qur'an, and you know the teachings, and you live the teachings, and you feel the feelings of the Sunnah, after that, then mean you can talk about everything to do with thought, and the Ummah, and leadership, and I'm willing to do all of that. Everything, I'll sit down with you. To do the first step first. You must have heard me if you say first things first. First things first. Get those feelings. Yes, I'll tell you the history of this Ummah. Whoever helped this Ummah, just look before colonialism. That's too much to explain to you when colonialism happens, it's an aberration and a perversion of the direction that the Ummah takes. And that aberration and perversion is continuing until today. Now some of you are happy, I'm talking about this stuff. Huh? Ah. Go before colonialism. If anybody ever helped the Ummah, it was somebody who had these feelings. I'll give you an example from our own history of the Indian subcontinent. In Mughal India, there was a Mughal emperor, his name was Akbar. And he made an old bead 
First you call the Dini Akbari. Then you call the Dini Ilahi. La Hulu, go to London. You understand that Dini makes sense to him. Many things. This is not to tell you. I'll tell you two things. You make sense that to him. And number two, and I read this recently in a non-Muslim historian's work when I was at Oxford. I was kind of even heard that from my speaker. In the Jummah Khutbah, you don't take the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi name, you take his name. Amazing. And such strong man rule, he actually implemented this in the Mughal Empire of India, many places. Now if you just look within one generation, you're going to end up with another person called Jahangir, who is now reverses all of that entirely. Then after him is another person, Aurangzeb, who brings Islam in entirely. I mean, relatively speaking, compared to Islam in a very large amount. How do you make this journey from Akbar to Jahangir Aurangzeb just in a matter of 34 years? In a whole vast Mughal Empire, an entire change, an entire turn. Allah Ta'ala took one wali from a place called Sahib, his name is Shaykh Ahmed Sahib, Indian Empire. One wali of Allah Ta'ala brought about this change. So when you say the Sufis, what have you done? I'm sure it is true what we've done. What have you done? Show me any thinker of his thought and ideology through conferences and seminars, what they brought. Show me. Show me anybody who's done this. You know, in the Muslim world right now, there are roughly 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. Allah follow. Anywhere from 1 to 1.5 billion. Let's take it as 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. Half of them are in South Asia, Indian subcontinent. If you add up the Muslims of India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, it's 550 to 600 million Muslims. How did these people ever become Islam? Go back in history. Again, historical fact. Hindu historians will write this. Atheist, Western historians, and Cambridge and Oxford will write this. American historians will write this. Muslim historians are telling me this. What? 99% of these Muslims, of these 600 million Muslims today, 90% are descended from Hindus. How did those Hindus accept Islam? The only Allah. Father William and Jishyanta walked, just walked in India. 100,000 Hindus became Muslim. Hindus joined them. 100,000 Hindus became Muslim. One wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Show me that. Show me that person today. Show me that movement today. Show me that school of thought today. Hmm? And there were others like him. Others like him. I find it so ironic that those of us who are Muslims of subcontinental heritage, you mock the very only due to which your Imam exists. You would be a Hindu right now if those only didn't walk the face of that, that part of the planet. You don't know your history. That's why I do my research history. Why? His history really makes it so clear. I also, when I went through the whole period of years, I checked everyone out. I sat with everyone. I've sat with everyone. Believe me. You'd be amazed at the wide spectrum. All the Shiyam Kaziani, I've sat with everyone. Everyone. When I was young, right? It's only history that makes it clear. History makes it so clear. And the problem is we don't know our history. We don't know our history. And when you don't know history, you are prey to any ideology, any movement, any school of thought. Because you don't know your history. Come on, actually, what happened in this moment? Not some post-colonial religious history, no. Real history. Like, it was very difficult when you were colonial, post-colonial. That's a whole separate topic, a whole other lecture. That lecture is in the university. That lecture, I think, in the university. That's a different lecture. Different lecture. So, first things first. First things first. We have to get this Iman 
We have to get that ill of Qur'an, as I mentioned it, wordings, meanings, feelings. We have to get the ill of Sunnah. Hmm? Same thing, teachings and feelings. And when you're feeling the feelings of Qur'an and feeling the feelings of Sunnah, then everything, the second and second, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, do the first step first. That's it. That's all I say. You want marashat? You want marashat is? Allah, that's another name of some. Oh, you don't know what marashat is, I think. Marafat is the end, it's the crowning achievement, it's the climax, it's the crux, it's the ultimate, it's the penultimate achievement. There's no way you're going to get that if you don't do the first things first. Imam al-Ghazali wrote a whole risala on this. Al-Risala fi bayani marafat illah, it's called the name of Ghazali to us. Al-Risala fi bayani marafat illah. He said the treatise on explaining what it means, the bayan, the explanation of what it means to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody writes in that. It's one of the most incredible things. It's very short also. It's incredible. He writes that Marfat is Arz. It's to ultimately know Allah. It's to know that He's ultimately unknowable. It all ends in humility. It ends in Arz's. Hmm? To ultimately know Allah Ta'ala is to know that He's ultimately unknowable. So therefore then what you do? Then you just know Allah as He has revealed Himself to be, know Allah as He wishes Himself to be known, that is the Asma'al Husna, that is Qur'an. So you maximize, you reach it, but you realize ultimately Allah is unknown. Now what does He mean? He means to know Allah as Allah knows Himself, that's called true knowledge. This is the principle, right? To know something the way something knows itself. So to know Allah as Allah knows Himself, what's the true knowledge of Allah, right? True knowledge of Allah is how Allah knows Himself to be. That's called the highest level of knowledge. The true knowledge of Allah is how Allah knows Himself to be. Marfat means to try for that, but to ultimately realize that you can never reach that. Because only Allah can know Himself as He knows Himself. So in that sense, Allah is ultimately unknowable. However, in the way Allah has revealed Himself to be, and wishes Himself to be known, Allah Ta'ala is ultimately knowable. Indeed, that's the best way I can explain to the English what He has written in that place. But that's way above. was way after the first step. Way after the first step. Sandra, we love you. We're very happy to meet you. But you know that deen is not about buildings. You know, deen is about hearts. Deen is about hearts. We would love that the building would have the hearts. We would love that the people have hearts have these type of buildings. <laughs> like it's scary. Because I travel the world, the people who have the hearts when they don't have these type of buildings. And then people at least have to believe only don't have the hearts. And both things make me sad. Both things make me sad. So go for the heart. Go for the heart. Because on that day of judgment, I'm just going to look at one thing, is to look at your heart. يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَرُ مَا لَمَا بَلُونَ إِلَّا مَنَعَتَ اللَّهُ لِكَوْنِ لِلْسَلِي One thing Allah is going to look. Do you have that pure heart? So we may dwell in love and barak in this place, that you have to make it happen. The building built itself, the barakah will come on itself. You think you built the building and the barakah will come on its own? No. The building came on its own and you have to figure that out. The building came on its own. This is a this is matter, this is materialism. The building came on its own and you have to bring the barakah. And the barakah comes from the first step. And do that first step well and do it deeply, lay a deep foundation, first things first.
get that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those sifat of iman, the attributes of iman, hayat, tawakkul, sabr, shukr, adab, akhlaq, zikr, fear of Allah, love for Allah, everything Allah Allah tells al-Madina amanu in Qur'an, learn those teachings, live those teachings, feel those feelings, then when you become al-Madina amanu, you see Allah Ta'ala will take every word of you. Everything will happen. Everything will happen. It's ummah is ummah of al-Madina amanu, ummah believers. They can only be fixed by the believers. And may God Allah Ta'ala accept our coming here and sitting with you. And generally I'm telling you, really from the bottom of my heart, we make God to accept your effort, accept this institution. I make God to grant you marafat and grant you belayat. You don't know what dua we make for you. You just make God that Allah, we bless Allah, bless your product of reviving the Ummah. We make more duas for you. Yes, we make more duas for you. May Allah accept it. Salaam alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.